Hello all and welcome to a new episode of the Horror Countdown Podcast. I'm your host, Donna Nelly, and with me tonight is my special guest, Mike Treblecock. Hi, Don. How are you doing? Ah, doing great. Uh, thank you for uh, being on board. For tonight's episode, we're going to be looking at our top 10 favorite soundtracks. So uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, this is a topic of great importance to you in the, your career. But uh, for those that uh, aren't familiar, let's get a uh, little bit of background and uh, what we were you know, talking about earlier in uh, regards to uh, what we're going to be discussing tonight and uh, how it came about. Uh, yeah. Do you want me to, to say how it came about? Well, I mean, I, I know personally just because, um, you know, we came about it, uh, we, we discussed it ourselves, but uh, for those that yeah. uh, aren't privy to the conversation and uh, how we came about it, let's uh, let them know a little bit about that and uh, what we're going to be discussing tonight. Well, it's the it's the favorite uh, horror soundtracks, and I know that the it's actually uh, well. I'm not sure what you picked, but I, I picked favorite scores. I, I guess there's a difference between scores and soundtracks. The soundtracks are usually song based, sort of they pick songs for uh, for certain spots, but the score would be like uh, you know music written for for picture. So uh, so I guess it's really top ten scores, but. Um, but so how it came about, I, I, I guess uh, we were just talking about you, you were looking for different guests and I thought that this would be a good, uh, a good top 10 that maybe you hadn't done before. Yeah, all right. yeah. Um, I mean, maybe, I, I maybe you have. Well, uh, no, I, I was just going to say, um, I, I kind of use a uh, score and soundtracks kind of interchangeably. So yeah. I'm not necessarily yeah. sure if that's uh, you know the proper way to go about it yeah, um no, I, yeah the, the, the way the way you the way you explained it is a little bit more um I, I kind of understand where you're going from and i i recognize the difference yeah but yeah um i mean yeah it i i, I generally chose uh scores rather than soundtracks um personally yeah um too. so yeah um i mean i'm just saying i use score and soundtracks interchangeably so yeah but uh, yeah, um, I, I kind of took the uh, same approach. Um, I, I kind of looked at, uh, you know, original music. Um, I, I, I know that there's not a lot of um, out there that'll know, but um, I, I'm generally not the closest um, observer, or I, I should say listener to um, music when I first hear it. So it's usually more something I notice um, repeat, on repeat listens, just because the first time I'm trying to, you know, watch the story and I'm trying to watch the action evolve and trying to, you know, follow the story along. And then over time, I, I kind of like recognize like filming techniques and I recognize, you know, oh, okay, well, this is how they did that. This is how they did this. And then, you know, I start recognizing like the, the other, the technical process that goes into it. So, yeah, you know, yeah. recognizing scores and, you know, all that other kind of stuff. I, I usually pick that up more on repeat viewings rather than first, first time through. And, and really, uh, a good score should fit a movie like a glove, I think. It shouldn't really be standing out and drawing attention to itself. Uh, it's, it's the purpose of a score is to tell the, to help tell the story. Uh, and it can tell, you know, scores can tell the story that's not seen on the screen. Like you can, um, you know, you're suggesting what's going on in a character's mind. You're suggesting maybe the character's background. You're suggesting the setting sometimes. You're, you're you know, so 
So the score does a lot of things that help tell the story that aren't necessarily going to draw attention to itself and shouldn't. Uh, there's there's parts in um, uh, in opera when people are when it's a spoken. I've, I've mentioned opera a few times in my notes here, but there's a part where it's a spoken um, word, and I forget what that's called, but the music is never like a hooky, if you know what I mean. Like there's no real melodic sense to it, and no rhythmic sense sometimes. It's sort of, it, it, um, it conveys the, the, uh, the feeling that people are talking as opposed to people are singing a song. Uh, so that's sort of that's sort of how I think of scores at times where they're they're not supposed to draw attention. You almost want to, uh, you know, you kind of throw the rhythm off so it's not too melodic. So you're not uh, you're not grabbing people's ears and distracting from the story from the main point of why you're watching the movie. Um, yeah. So I mean, it's good that you don't notice the scores. I think that's basically what I'm getting at. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, so um, for me, what I, I chose uh, for mine is I, I generally chose main themes more than um, actual scores. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like the opening credits or um, like the piece of music that plays over like the when the like the main credits roll. Um, so yeah, the feature, I, I, the feature the, bits. Right. The featured bits. That's sort of where I, I kind of favored um, a lot of my work. Um, a lot of the stuff on here, although there are a few times where um, like a chase scene or like a big action scene comes on and something pops up and it'll be like, oh, that was kind of cool. I kind of like, you know, the, the you know, like the melody that they played during that. Yeah. So there's a there's a few selections. Um, probably those are the ones going to be at the, you know, the back end of my list. Um, but yeah, generally speaking, I'm, I generally stuck with um, the main theme or like the featured um piece of music that was written for the film so yeah. Yeah. and mine I chose the I you know I thought about the whole score but I also I, I sort of thought there was certain points that I that I thought were interesting about these particular scores so I did I took some notes about that too so I'll, I might uh, some of this won't be in my own words so I hope I don't lose marks for that Oh, no worries. Um, I have very none. I just go, I just went off of memory and I just marked down which ones I remember. So yeah, yeah. Um, anything like that was uh, probably going to earn you points rather than uh, subtract them. So, <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, with that in mind, um, we'll uh, get started with the list. Um, I'll kick us off at number 10. I went with the score for uh, 1977's Tentacles. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I kind of uh, gave uh, special marks to this one just because I've recognized uh, several of the pieces uh, from various other Italian horror uh, films that uh, came after. Um, yeah. I'm pretty familiar with um, a couple of them, um, those of which, uh, although um, unfortunately escaped me, but um, I, I have recognized a lot of the pieces, although uh, the main one for me is uh, A Fine Day at the Regatta which is uh, the big centerpiece scene where the octopus attacks the uh, surfing, the uh, windsurfing competition, uh, which is this big driving upbeat kind of, uh, you know, piece that um, I, I've recognized uh, used in various other uh, tracks. So um, oh, wow. it, 
yeah, um, that that particular song is uh, one of the ones that's used. Um, although I've also heard uh, the ending battle theme where the uh, killer whales attack the uh, octopus. Mm -hmm. um, I, I've heard that uh, selection used as well um, in various other um, films. But um, the general thing is that, um, you know, this is the, I, I would imagine the majority of the tracks were written for this one. So um, I kind of gave it credence um, and, and importance. Yeah. So um yeah, it's a pretty fun, uh, catchy tra soundtrack in general. There's a lot of, uh, you know, it has kind of like a nice melodic um, ocean going kind of an atmosphere to it. Uh, you know, it fits because it's, you know, a generally ocean based film. Yeah. So um, yeah. the, the atmosphere is uh, captured uh, pretty well there. And uh, in general, like I said, a couple of the tracks are pretty fun and catchy. So uh, um, I put uh, number nine, number 10 is uh, Tentacles. Great one. Um, I uh, I wonder if there's a like a library of music that people were drawing from around that time. Yeah, there was. Um, so that's why I, it'd be familiar. Yeah, there um, a lot of the Italian stuff uh, in the '70s and '80s was basically not. If I remember correctly, the songwriters never retained the um, copyright essentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, even though they were responsible for writing it, they would never receive, they would receive compensation for composing it. But as soon as the film was released, it re remained in control with the film studio. So mm -hmm. the film studio was then able to just say, oh, well, I've got, you know, 15, you know, Ennio Morricone's soundtracks uh, compiled in my library. Let's just, you know, grab a couple of songs from there and throw it throw it together in um, our latest film you know we've already used up our budget on the special effects and you know we don't have enough after you know promoting everything let's just grab these Inyo Morricone songs that we already have uh, rights to and just use them in the movie yeah, so nice. um that was uh, a fairly common practice um i'm you know i'm just using Morricone just because you know it's him but yeah um yeah, I, that is a, uh, a fairly common practice um, for a lot of Italian uh, genre films uh, from that time period. Um, I, I know um, several other studios adapted it. Uh, Jess Franco in particular was very, very, very wide, widely known for reusing and uh, readapting songs written from previous films um, for later projects. Yeah. So it's not just an Italian thing, but um, I, I'm fairly comfortable with um, saying that a lot of uh, European and especially Italian uh, genre fare in the 60s, 70s and early 80s uh, generally adapted the, well, we've used it in the past. What's going to, what's the, you know, what's the, you know, how's it going to hurt, you know, kind of yeah. a mentality. Because I know, I don't know if they've done the same in North America. I know that there's uh, that George Romero in particular liked to use uh, uh, the Capitol High Eight Library. That was music that was meant to be uh, sold as a library as library tracks. They were they were albums that you know you'd, you you could probably hear the dust on them and the and the scratches if you listened carefully. Yeah. But they were they were you know album you know needle drops. So uh, right, it's kind yeah. of a different. Uh, a different scenario but a similar result really because you yeah. hear you hear stuff in night of the living dead and you hear stuff in um teenagers from outer space i think uh, has a lot of the same cues from night of the living dead so 
Yeah, um, I mean, I, I know um, the original, um, I think it's either the cans cut or is it, or the theatrical cut of Dawn was just completely old library tracks. Right. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't think there was like any, um, or like original music ever. There was like no original music um, composed. So yeah. yeah. Goblin did stuff, but I think it was mostly used in the Argento cut. Uh, well, no, um, there's um, the Argento cut is uh, no original music. Um, it's all um, reused from, um, I, oh. I think it's, yeah, I, 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 if my memory serves, I think it's a vast majority of the Deep Red soundtrack compiled with a couple of cues that they wrote. Um, it, it wasn't an Argento piece, but um, it was one that he had his hands in, um, in between Deep Red and Suspiria. Um, right. I, I, I don't remember just because I'm not terribly familiar with um, their their work outside of our general, but um, I I'm I believe it's um, the vast majority of the Deep Red soundtrack compiled with those extra cues. Yeah, yeah. Um, although I would you probably have to go back and listen again for sure. Yeah, um, I I wish I still had my old. Um, VH, I, I wish I still had my old copy of the um, our general cut, but um, I. I've lost it in the move several times and um, I yeah, don't remember it where it's, yeah, I don't remember where I placed it. So I'm, I would, uh, I'd either have box to somewhere in a basement or something like that. Yeah. It, it's stored somewhere, but um, I, I'm, I, I wish I was able to um, verify where it is and you yeah. know, all that kind of stuff. But um, I've got yeah. a couple of different box sets that has all the cuts on it. So. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I, I had one of the, I had, um, I, I think the first one, I think it was the ultimate edition that had um, the four disc version. Yeah. One was the theatrical, one was the cans, and then one was the Argeno, and then the fourth one was all the behind the scenes documentaries. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I have that somewhere. I, I wish I could remember it, but um, yeah, it's kind of uh, been lost in shuffles and not necessarily uh, kept in the, <laughs> kept up to data so to speak so yeah yeah it happens yeah <laughs> yeah but um yeah um i guess that's uh my number 10 let's uh go on with yours that's great my number 10 was uh star crash it's uh 1978 directed by luigi cozy we both have italian movies for our number 10 and the scores by john barry who already at the time had done a whole bunch of james bond stuff and he was a veteran composer. Uh, so uh, they sort of had to not really trick him, uh, but they had they sort of had to uh, to uh, disguise the movie a bit. I've got some quotes here. So uh, uh, Washberger was the producer and he said uh, one day in the late 70s French film. Oh, this is this is about him. Uh, he created, uh, he wanted the creator of the Bond theme to add John Williams style grace to the picture and he was shooting in Rome. Uh, I've got the biggest effing, this is uh, explicit, isn't it? This. Uh, I can slap a label on there if you want. If you want to censor yourself, go ahead, but um, there's an explicit label on here for it's a reason. Okay. I was just kidding. Yeah, I've got um, the biggest effing science fiction movie, but this is him talking, it's not me at all. Yeah. Uh, so he's got the biggest science fiction movie ever, he told John Barry. Uh, there was just one flaw in his argument. The movie in question was Star Crash. The special effects budget was rumored to be in the five digits, 
and a wave of trepidation hit Washburger. What if Barry saw a tacky spacecraft, the ludicrous acting, or the lumbering stop-motion giantess with nipples, with nipples, before signing the deal to write music? Washburger says he decided to show the composer dirty, dirty black and white prints and claim the effects weren't actually finished yet. So, uh, and, and he did score the movie. Uh, and honestly, it's a beautiful score. Uh, you know, for, and I love the movie too. It's really colorful, really fun to watch, but the score is so kind of emotional and, and memorable and it kind of gets you in the heart. And, uh, uh, the, uh, one interesting thing is after star crash, he recycled the main theme of, uh, of that movie and, and, uh, made it into out of Africa, the theme for out of Africa. And, uh, won an Oscar for that, for that theme. Uh, so that an interesting little path pathway from, you know, the beginning of that score to the end, but, and I'm, you know, I, I don't know, once he signed the deal, maybe he was, uh, he sort of was, he had to uh, continue, or maybe he actually loved the movie because uh, I can see how you would love it as well. Yeah, um, it's sort of it's been a while since I've uh, revisited Star Crash, but um, I've always kind of liked the uh, the main theme, like you mentioned. Um, I'm assuming that's the one that uh, was reused because that's yeah. kind of like that that bouncy, majestic kind of um, big that big you know, like orchestral piece. Yeah. Um, and there's also you know there's love themes in it and things like that, but they're all really, really melodic and really beautiful. I don't remember it being especially atmospheric. And strange. It was more of a really lyrical uh, uh, sound or score. See how you soundtrack and score yeah. <laughs> as well. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's my number ten. Ah, oh, nice. Um, I mean, yeah, like I said, um, I it's been a while, but um, I've always kind of liked that main one myself. So yeah, that's a, a pretty solid choice. Uh, my number nine, um, I kind of stuck with the Italian theme just because um, that's kind of where a lot of uh, my memories kind of came from when I was uh, kind of uh, going back through the going back through my notes and uh, trying to figure out where I, I really liked um, the music from. And uh, one I really um, enjoy is uh, 1972's The Case of the Bloody Iris. Um, mm -hmm. So this is a... Uh, yeah, this is a um, Argeno style giallo. It's uh, not done by him. Uh, I, I I always kind of get like so these lesser, um, like the second tier giallos mixed up uh, with together. But um, if memory serves, I believe this is. Um, I, I think this is Bruno Nicolai. I, I he's sort of the um, right hand man to um, Ennio Morricone during that time period. Yeah, um, I'm fairly confident this is him. It's either him or um, it's the uh, D'Angelis brothers, and I don't think it's them. Mm. But um, I, I'm fairly comfortable it's Nikolai. Um, the main thing um, for me is that um, the intro, uh, the, the main uh, score to this is actually used as uh, the intro for one of my favorite um, podcasts when it was still active. It was called uh, Giallo Chow Chow. And uh, the main theme for this was kind of used as uh, the intro piece. It's this kind of like jazzy, um, like lounge, um, like like high end, like lounge music for like, you know, like a jazz club kind of a thing. But it has this really mm -hmm. kind of melodic bounce to it. And it's really kind of enjoyable. And it was, like I said, it was used as uh, the main theme for um, this podcast I used to like. And um, 
uh, they, they, they switched themes and they put in a new one now. I think it's a score for another, um, if I remember right, the new theme is the one that they used in Eyeball. Um, I'm not sure. I, 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 I'd have to revisit their their show, but um, it, they haven't put out a new one in a while, so I'm not uh, terribly familiar. But um, the old one that they did uh, for um, Case of the Blade Eyes was really fun because, like I said, it had this really kind of like smoky jazz lounge kind of a beat to it. And there was like this really melodic undercurrent that they... Um, because they use like a lot of strings, but then they like the main melody was kind of this jazz horn kind of a piece, mm -hmm. and it it was really kind of uh, melodic and it had it was really kind of uh, interesting because they was used as these uh, showpiece pe um, pieces um, in the film, and uh, that was kind of like you know, like why they they chose it for the uh, theme song. But um, the the rest of the film is kind of fun. Um, it's you know it's not an Argento film. You know don't. You know, let's. I'm not going to kid myself and say it's you know like one of the best giallos ever, but um, yeah. they they kind of used um, motifs from um, the the horn section um, the, that those jazz horns. They used um, mo the motifs from that that section to sort of build like the rest of the music around. Right. So they were um, they were really kind of like bouncy and upbeat, and they had like a really kind of like jazz sound like jazz sound to it. And it was always kind of fun, and I always really um, liked revisiting the film because of that. And uh, it's it's kind of got like a nice um, ring to it when you hear it. It's kind of like really easygoing and really um, really kind of you know, fun. So um, I've always kind of enjoyed the film for that. Yeah. So uh, yeah, um, if you can find the film, I, I don't know where it's um, readily available because I used to own a. Uh, I used to own a uh, gray market copy. Um, I, I did go out and buy a bootleg just because it wasn't um, readily available. So I'm not entirely sure. Um, my best guess is uh, Prowl YouTube um, is some channels uploaded. There's, uh, I know that there's a, a small community that kind of, uh, you know, they, they trade back and forth, uh, sharing each other's videos just, you know, to keep them out there. Yeah. Um, there's like five or six channels that they all kind of, uh, you know, they're all like, they, they, they share videos and they're kind of like all friends with each other. So um, usually one of them will have it up and then, you know, copyright strike and get taken down and then another one will put it up. But um, that's kind of like the best place I can say as to where to find it because it's not readily available anywhere. Um, but yeah, I if you it out for sure. Yeah, yeah. If you can find it, if you, if like I said, if you enjoy those, uh, you know, those giallos from the early seventies, it's, it's worth a watch just on its own, but yeah, overall, um, for the score, I, I've always really kind of liked the main theme for this one. So it was kind of uh, part of the reason why I chose it for this one. But um, yeah, overall, uh, my number nine is Case of the Bloody Iris. Case, right. I'm writing your choices down. I had Curse. I'm going to change that right now. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Yeah it's, yeah, it's Case of the Bloody Iris. Um, yeah. Excellent. Okay, my number nine, I realized that I hadn't really chosen anything very modern so i thought i should change that because there's some really great stuff uh you know coming out now too uh um so i didn't want to leave everything out you know some scores uh make you you know, make your head turn a little bit and you know you, you you think afterwards that was a great you know you think what a great score it was after you see the movie this one was so number nine was nocturne uh it's 2020 it was one of the blumhouse uh uh, they've got that series going on, uh, Welcome to the Blumhouse. 
So this is, uh, it was Nocturne by Zoo Quirk, uh, is her name, and Gazelle Twin was the, was, is the artist that did the soundtrack, or the, the score. Uh, so um, I thought it was really, it really uh, had some surprising moments and inventive uh, uh, parts as well. It, it, it was sort of um, atmospheric. It, it's like an electronic score. So it was um, atmospheric in parts, but also with uh, vocals, uh, with sort of choir, I guess, but small, small choir, but uh, very ethereal and strange cluster harmonies in the in the vocals too. Um, uh, it it was sort of like a giallo in a way, because it, it's a bit. Uh, it might have it's set in a performing arts school. So it reminded me a little bit of like Suspiria or maybe Black Swan or something like that. So it had a lot of classical uh, elements to it as well. And, and just some really strange and ear catching uh, moments. Um, is there anything else I want to say about that one? No, I don't think so. So yeah, Gazelle Twin, uh, you know, I'm going to be definitely looking for more uh, more stuff from that artist in different in new movies. That sounds interesting. Um, I I I missed the first section of uh, the that into the Bloomhouse sex stuff. Um, I I saw the stuff from last year. Um, because I know last year they did um Black as Night, um Bingo Hell, Manor, and yeah, I think I saw two of those. Yeah. Um, Bingo I Hell I think Manor. Yeah, I am. Um, I, I don't remember the fourth one, but um, I, yeah, I, I, I caught the I caught the three of the four. Um, the fourth one is the one I'm missing. Um, I, I don't remember, but uh, yeah, I, I missed the first one, um, the 2020 ones. So I'm definitely gonna have to go back and check that out because that actually does sound kind of interesting. Um, yeah, that one in particular, I really, really liked a lot. Um, I thought the whole series was was pretty good. I did see all four, and I can't remember the titles now. I've seen, you know. <laughs> so many movies now yeah i know <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah um, i mean like i said I, I i saw three of the four from last year um and i can't remember the fourth one so i'm gonna have to go back and check the uh, 2020 ones out yeah yeah this one was really i, I really like this one uh, like i say it's a little bit giallo so maybe you will like it cool uh this one is nocturne yeah nocturne nocturne okay um i got that one written down so uh trading off <laughs> Yeah. Um, so this one uh, for my number seven. Um, the, uh, the, eight? Oh, number eight. Yeah, sorry. Um, I was uh, looking ahead here. So uh, my number eight, um, once again, sticking with the uh, Italian flair, but um, this is one of my personal favorites. And uh, I always kind of uh, enjoyed this one. Um, All the Colors of the Dark. Hmm. Yeah. So um, this is another one um, I, I'm fairly comfortable. In fact, um, let me vamp here for two seconds while I pull out my Blu-ray because I actually own this one to the point where I can actually check the uh, soundtrack. And uh, yeah, this one is a, another Bruno Nicolai version. So um, got two of his films back to back. That's I guess that's probably why I selected them in the order that they did. But uh, yeah. this is a, uh, a lot more of a, a gothic kind of um, an atmospheric soundtrack. Um, it uh, it befits it because it's much more of um, a cult film rather than a, a straight up giallo like the case of the bloody iris but uh, this one is a lot of fun um 
there's like this really kind of like dark and atmospheric pieces that sound like um like black op like um black mass kind of like church going music yeah. where you have like these really kind of like pounding organs but they have like these really dark melodies to it and um a lot of the stuff is just it sounds like something that you would hear for like a cult ceremony or like you know a black mass kind of a thing yeah and uh he kind of like you know he uses the uh case of the bloody iris trick where he uses like the jazz pieces for like the sound for like the chase scenes so yeah it's kind of like a really fun and varied thing but uh the the main one for me is uh the piece that they play during the main um the main ceremony where they're like indoctrinated into this cult and you know you hear like the blaring organ music and he's got these like you know operatic kind of um, melodies playing over it and it's really kind of uh it's really fun and I've, I've always kind of enjoyed the film as a whole yeah. so uh yeah the, the the main piece of this one is really good and um, I've always kind of enjoyed this one uh it's one of my favorite films not just because of you know the, the film in general but uh yeah the it's got one of the my favorite soundtracks from the time period so I know yeah. I, I haven't checked it out yet but I know it's on Shutter here so I'm gonna I'm yeah. definitely gonna check that one out too yeah, that one I I would really recommend. It's one of my favorite. Um, it's one of my favorite Italian horror films in general. Um, and yeah, the, the the soundtrack to this one is really really interesting. So, um, when you hear this main thing, um, when they're in this uh, abandoned church and you see like the priest performing these ceremonies in front of everyone, and you hear this big bombastic church music, that's yeah. the the main piece, and uh, you'll know it instantly. So, um, yeah, yeah, I, I yeah, it's it's definitely worth a watch um like i said it's on shutter um i think there's a couple of other outlets that have it but um yeah it's definitely one to it's definitely one to check out so and i, I promise i'll have a little bit more uh, familiar choices going forward but <laughs> well <laughs> yeah um speaking I of could... familiar choices my next one eight uh is the shining which you know might be a little bit typical but Man, I love that score, and I just uh, I just saw it in a theater not too long ago, and it kind of blows your mind, and, and you sort of forget, uh, you know, when you're watching things on TV, you forget how powerful things can be in the theater again, and uh, it's got it's uh, Wendy Carlos and uh, Rachel Elkine did the original stuff, uh, and speaking of the original stuff, the main title of that is. And you mentioned culty stuff and black masses. This the the main title of The Shining uh, is uh, the uh, the it's an original song, but it's based off the Deus Irae, which is uh, it's uh, I've got it written here: musical motif motif of four notes from Deus Irae, which means Day of Wrath or Judgment Day. It's a 13th century Gregorian requiem or Catholic mass traditionally sung at funerals. Uh, it's attributed to either Thomas of Salerno of the Franciscans. It's, uh, you know, uh, monk monk stuff, Gregorian chants. Um, so you would also hear that those four notes and they go, da, 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 da. And you, it, they use those four notes all over the place. It's always disguised, you know, in a slightly different package. It's been in uh, the list here. It was in A Clockwork Orange as well, another Kubrick, of course. It was in The Lion King, Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, uh, in It's a Wonderful Life, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, Close Encounter of the Third, Counters of the Third Kind, and Home Alone, and many, many other 
other movies. So, you know, you could probably, you know, while you're watching a movie, pick out, it's usually a death scene or, or something very heavy that's happening, but you'll hear that sequence of notes used often. Uh, sort of a little, a little tool that composers composers use. Maybe it's a little like the Wilhelm scream of uh, film music. I'm not sure. <laughs> so, uh, so other they had also used. Uh, it wasn't library music, but it's music by, com by classical composers, uh, 20th century composers, uh, Bartok's. Um, uh, where did what was his piece in it? Uh, so Bartok's, oh, no, well, anyway, I, I, I didn't write down what Bartok's piece was, but if you know uh, Bartok, you, you pretty much know what it sounds like, but he's known for clusters. Uh, clusters are notes that are very close together. Uh, and they sort of make, you know, all those notes together make their own sound. Like it's like a minor seconds all on top of each other. So if you sort of put your hand down on a piano, that that is sort of getting to what the sound is, but with strings. Uh, Christoph Penderecki's uh, Threnody to the Victims of Hiroshima is one example of that as well. A lot of cluster uh, cluster chords. Um, so so it was sort of that mixture of classical, um, but uh, you know, really out there. Uh, the, the result is a little bit sort of like, a, you know, a synthy sort of sound, like a synthesizer uh, sounding result, but it's with all classical instruments with strings just sort of sawing, <laughs> sawing out these, these clusters. Uh, so yeah, Bartok, uh, Penderecki, and uh, Wendy Carlos and Rachel Elkind all did that, contributed to that score. So it's a, it's a spine chilling experience in the theater for those that might have forgotten. So that's my number eight. Nice. Um, yeah, I have uh, this one on my honorable mentions. Um, yeah, I I really love that opening theme. Um, it's a really, uh, really kind of like impressive way to open the film. Just, you know, you get like the tracking shot and you get that, you know, just the right. haunting melody over the those, top of it. Those four notes. Yeah, you have that. Over. Probably, I'm sure that they're sort of in our, you know, in the back of our minds all the time and that's why it sort of evokes those feelings that heavy that yeah heavy but yeah no um i i have that on i think just um it didn't really make it but uh yeah i'm a big fan of uh, the, the the soundtrack to that film in general it's one of my uh well i'm gonna be controversial here it's one of the few things i actually like about it yeah yeah but um <laughs> well yeah. Stephen King would agree with you i i think yeah um yeah, I'm not I'm not the biggest fan of The Shining, but um, conversation for another day. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like I said, um, I promised I would be a little bit more um, familiar with my stuff. And um, my number seven is I, I, I kind of feel like a cheat just because uh, this is um, not necessarily original um, in the truest sense of the form, but um, I went with Reanimator. Um, yeah. Yeah, um, you hear that, you know, instantly where it's from. But uh, honestly, I I really don't care. <laughs> um, I, I don't really care. Um, and uh, I'll tell you why in a, a few slots. So that may be a little bit of a spoiler. But um, well, honestly, uh, Reanimator, I mentioned Reanimator later on, too. So it's a great. Uh, nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's uh, like I said, it's kind of an odd one. But um, for the most part, um, I, I really do like the. Um, 
I really like a lot of the themes in here. Um, the majority of the stuff is uh, far more interesting than what you would uh, really expect it to be. Mm -hmm. um, I, I really, um, you know, I mean, I, I'm saying that just because, you know, it's the uh, not necessarily original um, work, but yeah. uh, for the most part, um, it's really interesting. And I really like a lot of where it's going with, um, it, you know, a lot of the selections. You know, Herbert's theme is really kind of, you know, the standout piece, and that's kind of, you know, expected based on its uh, origin stories. But yeah, um, a lot of uh, what's going on here, uh, even though it is, you know, recycled to a degree, it, it fits the movie. And, uh, it, you know, I mean, like you said, uh, you know, you have it on your list for reasons. So yeah, I'll leave originally, it. To... Originally, the movie, and it got cut out for whatever reason, but Richard Band said, that he uh, originally had apologies to Bernard Herrmann at the end of the film, uh, you know, meaning, you know, acknowledging that it was that he was borrowing and having fun with it. Right. So uh, but it does really at the beginning of that movie, it kind of evokes like a playfulness that, uh, you know, you wouldn't have gotten from another piece. I don't think it's just uh, uh, it's original in its own way. Yeah, um, I, I would agree with that. It's definitely not as uh, the, the original's version is a little bit more foreboding. And I think because this one here is not necessarily as dark. Um, yeah, the, it, the drum machine. Reanimators. Yeah, reanimator is much more of a, uh, you know, it, it's, you know, for lack of a better term, like a party movie. Yeah. So, yeah, um, the fact that that one kind of goes in that direction, the. Uh, I, I I get where he's coming from. So um, yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, for me, uh, my number seven is Reanimator. Yeah. So my number seven uh, is again with the I, I realized that I had no uh, modern soundtrack. So here's another one that I really loved, uh, The Invisible Man. It's uh, Lee Wannell. Uh, the the scores by Benjamin Wallfish. Uh, who did Blade Runner 2049, uh, Hidden Figures, and the Shazam movies. Uh, you know, pretty mainstream dude. But, you know, I love what he does. Uh, now, he used what you mentioned before, but one of the Giallos had a jazz uh, piece where different instruments ended up being different themes for different characters. Uh, and so that's sort of what this one's doing. It's using that's that's an old that goes back to Wagner and and opera once again, where different you know a different character would enter and his theme would would come up. So he he was sort of doing that when uh, when he did this movie. He was also uh, alluding to uh, to Bernard Herrmann because uh, you know Herrmann's score was just for strings. And uh, that was at the time, you know, with all the giant, you know, Max Steiner, you know, huge orchestral things, the psycho score with just its small ensemble uh, just sort of contributed to the, uh, you know, the, the, uh, it, it kind of reflected the lack of space, you know, the confined sets and, you know, the hotel rooms and, and things of the house, you know, you're always inside and you're in a confined space and for some reason, that small ensemble just sort of gets under your skin in a different way than a giant, you know, orchestra would have. Uh, so anyway, so back to this one. So the Invisible Man was kind of doing that sit. Started 
off anyway the string section was sort of the small string section uh was doing that getting a lot of uh, uh emotional range out of a few instruments um uh, so, so he started that way, but it kind of went off the rails or on the rails in a way, because there was also uh, synth added in there, lots of synth. And uh, that sort of added uh, just, a re just another unsettling uh, layer to the string section. Um, now, when I first heard this score, what struck me was the, the distortion so he it's just balls to the wall this score <laughs> you know it goes from really lyrical beautiful uh, melodies for different you know for certain characters and then it just goes uh completely uh apeshit in other areas so uh let, let me just read a little bit here i've got so two different characters there's cecilia and adrian uh, Cecilia's cello theme is heard three or four times, invoking who she is, the memory of who she is, and what she holds on to. Walfish says he experimented with the sound. We used uh, unusual mixing techniques, sometimes surrounding the audience with a wall of sound, and sometimes only using one microphone on the violin. Along with the cello theme, he embedded a piano motif that also builds in the same way her strength does. So that's interesting, you know, the music changing, going along with the character. And the, the other one, this maybe was where the distortion came in. Adrian's motif, on the other hand, was where uh, was about being technologically advanced. I'm not sure if you've seen this one, but uh, since he had mastered the science of invisibility, we, uh, we were thinking what would do that or what would that technology technologically would sound like if it embodied music. Uh, Adrian's sound was aggressive and uh, created through synths. Uh, the composer found inspiration in EDM, a dark, gritty electronic sound, but very cinematic. So, uh, you know, what, what I really noticed was just things, things peaking uh, in a way that I hadn't really heard before. So that's kind of, uh, it, it's kind of amazing in that way, because it's sort of going in, uh, it's taking things into a new territory, I thought, anyway, because I hadn't quite heard anything like it. Had you heard, have you seen that one? I saw it once. Um, it was one of the first things I saw once we were um, quarantined. Um, I, I wasn't able to get to the theaters to watch it, but it was one of the first things I watched, but um, it was, I only was able to see it once. Yeah. Um, and I, 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 I do remember liking certain sections of it, but um, like I said, I, I, I kind of noticed a little, noticed it a little bit more on repeat viewing. So I, I would, want to revisit it just to uh kind of like familiarize myself with it a little bit more but like i said uh from what little i do i do remember um it wasn't bad um but um i i really wish i was a little bit more uh comfortable with it so i, I just i think the score I, it's a sort of a a classic story in a way and you that's what you expect from the invisible man but i thought it, it you know there was a lot of really modern uh, uh subjects that were that were touched on in it uh, uh, just about abuse and, and, and things like that. I mean, that's not a modern subject, but I mean, it's, uh, it's nice that they're sort of uh, exploring it and discussing it in a cinematic way. Um, but what, even with all that, what really uh, caught my ear was that the use of distortion and how it can actually be distortion as almost its own instrument. And it really adds to the, uh, the the impact and heaviness of what you're seeing. So uh, 
Yeah, I really liked that one. So Invisible nice. Man, Invisible Man number seven. Nice. All right. So uh, my number six, this one may be a bit controversial. Um, I'm, I kind of got a feeling that this may be a little bit higher for uh, some people, but I went with uh, the original Halloween, the 78 one. Yeah. So um, I, I'm pretty, com- I, I'm, I'm going to say that I, I think a lot of people would have it a little bit higher um, than me, but uh, for me, I, I, I really like a lot of where he goes with it, but it's just, in general, I, I, I know I'm kind of like harping on it just to, you know, make it justifying my choice, but it, I, I think the simplicity is both its greatest strength and its biggest detriment just because a lot of it, it kind of, it, it is so simplistic in, in tone and in general that because there's no real like dynamics to it, it's not really, I, I, I don't think it's like a, as great or as memorable. It just, it feels kind of like um i'm trying to like think of the tone here it kind of feels like a little um ostinato kind of yeah for sure that's that is yeah definitely what it is for sure yeah um uh i I realize that's not necessarily a familiar term so uh for those that um aren't familiar it's basically picking a like a riff or a melody or a note and then kind of um, repeating that um on ends so uh basically you know that you know that's just, you know, it's a catchy melody, but it's kind of like repeated over and over, even if it doesn't necessarily fit the on-screen action. So it it, it fits, but it doesn't uh, to me in a sense. Uh, Goblin uh, did a live DVD mm-hmm. and it's called uh, Ostinato. And it's Austin like Austin because they're in Austin. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, that sort of illustrates your your term. Yeah, um, but yeah, that, that's kind of where I was going with it. But uh, it, it still makes my list just because, um, you know, it's so familiar. It's, you know, something that, you know, any genre fan worth or salt is going to remember within like the first three or four um, minutes of, uh, of watching it. So, uh, you know, I, I, kinda, I give it a lot of credit for doing that. But um, I, again, I think the simplicity is also kind of one where, I, I, I kind of like favor like a little bit more of like a variety um, yeah. in my soundtracks. So even though it is memorable, it does have a lot to like about it. And, it, you know, it is kind of like, you know, it is on my list to a degree. I, I kind of favor um, other approaches, but in general, it's, it's really hard to n- dislike this one. So um, my number six is Halloween. Awesome. I think if you went back to the time, when was, was it Halloween? 78. 78 yeah um I, I don't think that you would have heard anything like that before uh, true um uh, so i mean that that would make it pretty impactful i would think yeah i i would imagine that that would um i i'm uh, you know i've heard the stories about uh, you know it playing with no music and you know not having a reaction to then you know being played with music and being called the most terrifying thing of all time yeah so i i i do understand where it's coming from because you know a lot of what we got before was like um i I would imagine like audiences would be more familiar with like you know bombastic hammer scores which um unfortunately i don't have on my list or they would be familiar with like you know the cheesy chintzy kind of like drive-in kind of fare so you don't really um i'm trying to like think back to a lot of uh you know like the big mainstream genre fare at the time and yeah the the 
you don't really get much in like this kind of like simplistic kind of like keyboard kind of style. So um, I, I, I would imagine that, yeah, it does have a little bit of impact just based on, um, you know, just based on that. But yeah, overall, uh, I, I, I give it its props. I give it its credit. It does, you know, impact the film in a great way, but it's also kind of, it's so simplistic that I, I, I kind of have to like not deduct you know, like, like the, loses a couple of marks for this. Yeah, just because um, I mean, like the rest of the stuff on here I have is a little bit more variety based. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of like, you know, okay, well, I like these a little bit more. That was kind of the, you know, I have to draw it back for a reason. And that's kind of like the excuse why. So, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the historical importance alone is is important to include it for sure exactly yeah um and you know you know i i made 10 and i realized you know after trying to make 10 that there you know i could have made a list of hundreds i think you know leaving out stuff that i really really love but these are the ones that came to mind so at that at that moment um so my number six is forbidden world uh by alan uh, directed by alan holtzman and Susan Justin is the composer. And she was kind of a new wave artist. So it's a lot of synth. Uh, and it's the the theme is like a weird, unsettling vocal. You know, there's some vocal vocalizations, I would call it in there as well. But the theme is just really kind of haunting and strange. And and the rest of it, it's uh is weird synth sounds uh experimental uh you know sort of using a synthesizer less musically and more uh as a sound effect machine that it, that it could that it could be used as uh, so i really i really think that's a cool and interesting score also female composers weren't very well and still aren't really that well represented as uh as they are you know they weren't at that time, they weren't even as well represented as they are now. So, I mean, it's it's uh, sort of of importance for that as well. Uh, yeah. They also you uh, used or she also used something called a blaster beam, which is an instrument. Uh, it's okay, back to my notes here. Uh, invented by John Lazell in the early 70s. It's a 12 to 18 foot long. I mean, there was different ones, of course. Uh, but 18 foot long aluminum uh, uh, beam with 24 piano strings on it, uh, thick piano strings. And uh, it's got pickups like guitar pickups on it. And uh, I saw some videos of uh, the inventor uh, or the sort of uh, perfecter because it was, you know, there was another version before. But anyway, uh, the, um, you play it almost like a giant pedal steel guitar or lap steel like it's it's on you know it's flat and this this cylinder you kind of put it on on onto it and you get these really strange otherworldly sounds and it can go you know you move it up and down the strings and you get strange sounds that way you can you can use a uh, a mallet on the strings uh you know on on different sides of the cylinder so you get all different sounds that way so i mean you sh you check out the instrument too on on youtube there's people playing it it's pretty amazing so it's called the blaster beam uh i i didn't know about this until this until this research 
So uh, it's pretty amazing. Uh, and where was it used? Uh, so th they say it was first brought to fame uh, with the Star Trek The Motion Picture Score by Jerry Goldsmith, uh, also used in Battle Beyond the Stars, The Black Hole, that Disney movie, uh, Dreamscape, uh, and other early Star Wars films by James Horner. Uh, then it was again used uh, by Bear McCreary on 10 Cloverfield Lane. Uh, and it was performed by the, uh, again, the guy that, there was two guys, John Lazell originally invented it. Craig Huxley played it on those scores, on a lot of those scores, and also sort of made it aluminum and he sort of tweaked it. Uh, so uh, it's it's probably a familiar sound, but you never knew I never knew what it was, what was making that sound. I assumed it was a synth, but it's this giant blaster beam. So I thought that was a, that was a notable uh, thing about this, about the Forbidden World score. I think it was written by Jim Wynorski as well. Hmm. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I can't say much. I haven't seen this, so definitely have to check it out. Um, I, I, I've seen it around. I just haven't had the time to uh, dive into it. So. Yeah, this is, sounds uh, pretty interesting. Um, I mean, you know, giving credence to, you know, female composers sounds uh, interesting as well. So, yeah, yeah I'm definitely going to have to check this out because it sounds pretty interesting. It sounds pretty cool. So it's a Roger Corman science fiction. Uh, they were using, I think, uh, I might be mixing it up with uh, King Kong, believe it or not, but <laughs> they, had, they had sets for Galaxy of Terror. And then either at night or like or afterwards, but they were using the same sets. So you know that one one movie would use the sets in the day, and one movie would use the sets at night. Uh, it could be I could be mixing it up with King Kong and uh, uh, the Most Dangerous Game because they did the same thing. They used the same sets both movies, and they filmed either one after the other or one in, one in the day and one at night. So um, yeah, pretty interesting. Oh, all right. I'm, yeah, like I said, I'm uh, definitely intrigued to, have to check this one out. So uh, move on to um, our top five. Um, as I mentioned, um, we are going to talk about the influence of uh, Reanimator with uh, Psycho. Um, yeah. Yeah, um, it, it's really hard to just, you know, top that, uh, you know, bombastic opening. Um, I, I, I really appreciate this as uh, one of the first... Uh, uh, kind of like um, on the fringe kind of genre films that I first watched. Um, for those that don't know, um, my my introduction kind of came uh, through a lot of uh, my grandmother. Uh, she was a huge uh, Hitchcock fan. So uh, I used to watch a lot of uh, his stuff, you know, a lot of the, you know, 50s and 60s or 40s and 50s. Um, sorry. Uh, watched a lot of his stuff and then I kind of, you know, worked my way into, you know, Psycho and, you know, from moved on from there. But yeah, the, this one, it always kind of stuck with me. Um, I, I liked a lot of the, uh, you know, the, the, just, you know, the, the simplicity of it all, because, you know, it is just a lot of violin bass and, you yeah. know, you get a lot of, uh, you know, melodies and a lot of driven, you know, it, it, it's been a while since I've really heard it in full, just because I haven't watched it in, in a while, but uh I, I've always just really liked, you know, like the main theme and, you know, not just, you know, the famous, you know, stuff, but a lot of, uh, you know, like the incidental tracks and like a lot of, you know, the snooping around kind of like, you know, suspense themes and, you know, 
it's more than just you know like the the singular shrieks you know that you get for you know the shower sequence in particular but yeah yeah um in general it's it's what it's known for but it's right a lot more than that it really exactly yeah um i mean like i said you know you get you know some you know you get some good pieces in you know the scenes of you know stalking around the motel and you know you get the drive, you know, the theme of her driving down through the dusty road, you know, her conscious, you know, narrating everything, you know, how am I going to get caught? Am I going to get away with this? And, you know, you've got that big, you know, theme in the background kind of, uh, you know, just blurring away and just like adding like an intensity to it. And yeah, it's all really fun soundtrack and uh, definitely one that I realized that, uh, you know, you're going to get a lot of people into it because of the main theme. But uh, if you expand it to the rest of it, you know, you're going to get a lot of uh, fun pieces to it. So. Yeah, I love it too. I love the uh, that 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 just kind of blows me away. That whole that whole thing, and that you can you can take that apart, and you can use different sections at different times, and you can use just you know two notes out of it, and get so much you know so much out of it. It's just such a such a great theme that you can. Um, it's a uh, what would be the word? It's a, a, a utility theme sort of thing. You can use it in many different places. Yeah, it works for so many different things. So yeah, I love it. And uh, and uh, Richard Band thought so as well. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, I, I gave credence, uh, you know, proper respect to the master and the you know the originator. So uh, number five for me is Psycho. Great. So speaking of Richard Band, my number five is From Beyond. Uh, I love a lot of Richard Band's scores. Um, within this section, I gave honorable mention to Parasite, Reanimator, Castle Freak. These are things I really love. Uh, and particularly Cantos Profane. Uh, I don't know how to say it. My Latin is a little rusty. Uh, from Troll. It was where the I think the trolls are all singing this sort of strange song. That was the idea, anyway. Uh, and Richard Band says I created a pseudo language for the lyrics of Cantos Profane, based on Old English and Latin combined. Uh, maybe that's why I can't say it. Uh, the song is a prophecy about the oncoming war, meaning the war of the trolls and the humans. Uh, so anyway those were honorable honorable mentions but back to from beyond uh most of richie band's scores are really they're really melodic uh really nice really no matter what the movie was he does these beautiful uh uh scores for you know it could be the most you know uh the most insane idea but his music is always so respectful of the art, and uh, and you know it harkens back to the old the old fashioned scores that were so so beautiful. So he sort of continued that uh, throughout, and he's continuing it now throughout his career. Um, so I wanted to say about From Beyond, it's it's more it's a it's a more harmonically rich score and more atmospheric than I think any of his other scores have been. Uh, it, uh, it, it goes to, you know, I was talking about Bartok and Penderecki sort of thing, and it, it's really is uh, paying tribute to those kind of composers. 
just uh, orchestra as sound effect. Um, uh, this this it, it's sort of I really think it's his masterpiece actually from beyond. Uh, um, so about his from beyond score. Uh, he says, after viewing from beyond for the first time I realized that perhaps what I needed to do as composer was to figure out how to get an entire audience to grow a pineal gland, which uh, is the third eye right it's the sort of a portal to another dimension, which is what the resonator was in from beyond as well. Uh, and it kind of activated the pineal gland so you could see these other beings all around you at all times, so this is what he was thinking of when he did the score. And I think he, he really succeeded like he invoked. Uh, he invoked another world it's just uh, the way he uses the orchestra is completely uh, unique and amazing, I think. Um, and, and it also has you know it's got a lot of beauty in there too but. Um, but it's it's just his strangest score I find. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been a while again for me since I've uh, seen From Beyond, but um, yeah, I, I've always kind of liked like the trippy sci-fi kind of, um, you know, avant-gardeness to it that, uh, you know, you get with a lot of the, uh, you know, scenes in the attic when they're replicating the experiments and, yeah. you know, all of the, you know, the the, the madness that ensues once, uh, you know, you get past that. Um, yeah, I yeah. think it reflects all that beautifully. Yeah, um, I mean, those are always, uh, you know, like, th those are always like really fun. And um, I really like, um, I really like a lot of where it goes uh, from there. But um, yeah, I, I really wish I was a little bit more familiar. But I, I, I do really, I really like a lot of where it goes. So um, yeah, it's a yeah. Uh, solid and choice. You, you know, synthy sounds out of the orchestra. And I think he mentioned in the liner notes, uh, cascading bells, sort of sounds just just really using the orchestra and it was again it was a pretty small orchestra but he was using it in such a unique way that it had uh, a whole bunch of range and there's another one coming up that has a similar sort of uh, aesthetic to it in a way yeah. so number yeah. five is from beyond cool all right so um for my number four uh, this one was one that I, um, I really wanted to put on the list just um, and not just because it's, uh, you know, my all time favorite film, but um, it's it's got one of the more memorable opening themes, uh, themes I've, uh, I've heard, at least um, I went with 1979 zombie. Right. Yeah. Um, so, like I said, uh, this is one that I, I, I put on the list just because um, it's, uh, you know, my not just my favorite film, but um, I absolutely just love that just island score to this um you have this uh atmospheric opening that you know it's just this dun, 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 and you have like this yeah. kind of like you know reverb laden thing that just adds like this sense of menace and uh you know foreboding atmosphere to it and then it kind of goes into like this tropical kind of like uh island sounds you know when you're when they visit the caribbean and you have like all these kind of like travelogue scenes and it sounds like this happy-go-lucky kind of like light vacation film but you know when you get to the zombie attack in the final half it just gets like really dark and eerie and you have like those uh scores you know the main theme just keeps it just keeps coming back up again yeah uh, yeah i i've 
I just love this. Um, it was a big part of uh, my enjoyment for the film. Um, I've heard it repeated several times over the years. Um, I, I think uh, the main theme is uh, brought up again in uh, City of the Living Dead, although that has um, the, the rest of the music is uh, original, um, but the main theme that they use uh, for the zombie resurrection at the end is uh, the main theme for this one. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, in general, I, I, I really appreciate um I appreciate the majority of the music in this one. Uh, like I said, the main theme is fantastic. It's one of my favorite pieces ever, but uh, the, the rest of the soundtrack is really fun and uh, kind of uh, develop, you know, envelops like the changing moods just, you know, as it goes from travelogue through the Bahamas to, you know, zombie outbreak. So yeah, overall, uh, one of my favorite piece, um, favorite pieces for uh, my favorite film of all time. So yeah, beautiful. And it's yeah. uh, it. I don't know if you feel this way, but that that opening that song it, it makes me happy. <laughs> why why would that be? I mean, I know it's eerie and it's strange, but for some reason it just uh, it it evokes sort of a happy <laughs> happy feeling. Maybe because I know that the movie is coming right after it. Maybe yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. It's like uh, it's like that darn song from uh, Cannibal Holocaust. Uh, the, oh, uh, yeah. Um, Riz, yeah. Riz Ortolani, uh, beautiful, beautiful yeah. theme. Uh, and it just, uh, you just, you just makes you feel all, you know, warm and fuzzy inside. But, you know, it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it, it just kind of feels <laughs> like um, oddly juxtaposed. It's against all, ju- yeah. It's all a trick. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I'll, I'll mention, I'll, I'll say it now, Cannibal Holocaust is in my honorable mentions, but yeah, yeah the, as great as that opening theme is, I mean, uh, I'll, you know, the opening theme is like my favorite piece in that, but I'm not a fan of the rest of the music, so I kind of left it off for that, but yeah, yeah I, I see where you're going from just because, I, yeah, it, it does kind of have like that same, that same tone to it. Yeah, yeah. Great. So yeah. my number four uh, is Evil Dead, uh, you know, the 1981 version. Uh, now, again, just like the Psycho uh, scenario, um, it's a small ensemble. He's got, uh, he also uses some synth. Uh, and it's also, it's very minimal. It's on, in a way, it's almost like, like you were talking about Halloween. It's very minimal. There's not a lot going on but it's but what is going on is amazing and again it fits the movie like a glove there's you know a love theme there's he gets a lot of emotional range out of a very few instruments um and there's some where the the you know the strings are just sawing away and just getting a really really powerful uh you know kind of like string metal sort of thing so uh and again, it, it sort of evokes the co- the confined setting that they're all in that same cabin all the time. Um, uh, so, oh yeah, I was just going to mention that it was also re-recorded uh, in 2018. That's the that's the version I I've been listening to, where it was expanded a little bit from there. Still a small ensemble, but uh, it was expanded and uh, sort of reimagined. But I do I do love the original score which i've only heard in the movie um but it's very small and clunky and awesome at the, all at the same time 
Yeah, it's um, it, it definitely helps with the fevered nature of the film. Um, again, again, this is uh, you know kind of taking away my horrible mentions here because I I do have it on there as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, yeah, it, it it definitely helps. Um, I, I like you said, I wish it was a little bit more kind of uh, ornate and it kind of like impacted. Um, a little bit more, but yeah, it's a solid choice. And, uh, you know, again, it's another one of my favorite films, but um, yeah, I, a lot I, I, of these things. And I think that the Carpenter too, sorry, the, the Carpenter thing, a lot of the, a lot of it happened because, uh, you know, from budget restraints, sort of their constraints, uh, they, you know, they, they could only afford whatever it was. I think it was a, a string quartet and a, and a, uh, and a bass, I think their contrabass. And I, I think that's what it was. Um, so, so they could could only afford a certain amount of, of strings, and then the rest of it was all just stuff that he had that he could find percussion wise. Uh, you know, there was a piano in there, and that synth. Uh, so a lot of it started with budget uh, concerns, but then it uh, it just you know, with with that limitation, he just made the most awesome piece of work. I think. Yeah, um, I, I can't disagree anymore. So uh, yeah. move on to uh, number three. Um, I'm pretty sure this one may pop up uh, just because um, my number three is The Exorcist. Um, yeah, yeah uh, just, you know, it, you hear the opening and yeah, you know, Tubular Bells is awesome. And, uh, you know, it just it strikes the mood perfectly, but a lot of the other incidental pieces, um, uh, particularly the uh, you know the, the main theorem and stuff that you get uh, during the exorcism itself, that stuff is just chilling. Um, I, I mean, yeah, you know that's due in part because you know of how a theremin sounds in general. But yeah, yeah, in, in general, um, uh, this is one of the, the ones that I think is just so perfectly matched to you know the intensity of the film and everything that goes on inside. Um, you know look look beyond tubular bells and you're going to get a lot of good good music in here um a lot of it would i was i'm surprised a lot of it hasn't been aped or reused um in other films um yeah. probably just you know because uh, i'm saying that out loud i would imagine you know it's warner brothers so they're probably going to have like a tight handle on everything but yeah um a lot of the music in here was it 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 has kind of that uh you know I, i'm trying to you know think of the proper term here but uh you know that recycled kind of feel you yeah. could reuse it in other films and it would uh fit in perfectly so yeah uh, yeah yeah um a lot of the music in here just you know it, it 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 you know it invokes what's going on in the scene perfectly well and then you know you get tubular bells on top of all that is kind of like the hit single to you know for lack of a better term but uh yeah um it's really hard to just you know discredit what's going on in here it's just yeah it, one of the best films ever made for a reason so uh number three for me is the exorcist it's a great one for sure yeah. now the, the tubular bells that's a bit of an ostinato going on as well isn't it I yeah think it's, uh... yeah um i i think it's kind of um i mean i i'm trying to think back on how it goes and um, i'm kind of getting it confused with uh, the main theme for the omen right yeah but um yeah, um, I, I I do remember it kind of being the uh, you know just that you know repetitive dirge, you know yeah, like it, yeah, that it builds over time. Yeah, um, I I 
don't necessarily think it's a true Austin Auto, but it definitely has uh, that feeling to it. So, yeah, yeah, uh, definitely, uh, yeah, An definitely awesome one, awesome yeah. one for sure. So my number three is Day of the Dead. Uh, it's John Harrison, uh, the Romero film, obviously, and it's because you know a lot of these scores and movies. The reason that I love them is uh, because of the time that I saw them at and uh, what, you know, what, what I was experiencing when I, when I, when I first saw it. And there's something about that score. You mentioned the Caribbean sort of feel in, in zombie. It's sort of, it's a little bit like that. It's, it's got some Caribbean things going on. I think in zombie, it was because of the setting. They end up sort of on that island. Yeah, I'm not sure if they're in the Caribbean, but I think because it, it ties in with the zombie idea, I guess. In Day of the Dead, what they they wanted they want their that island was their escape. Um, the original script had them actually getting to that island, and there was all kinds of action that happened in on a Caribbean island that got the script got um, you know truncated over time the, the, because of again budget constraints. So uh, they that didn't the the island stuff didn't really make it in there except for when they get to the island uh, at the end. I hope that's not a spoiler for anyone. But uh, <laughs> so, the, so the Caribbean sounds, you know, from the very beginning, you know, the sort of steel drum things that are going on. They're sort of alluding to, you know, you know, you're constantly moving forward to what they sort of thought or described as the promised land, getting away to the Caribbean. Uh, and so you're you're constantly sort of thinking that. So once again, it kind of makes me happy when I hear that when I hear the music from uh, Day of the Dead. Uh, and it also because when I saw it, it was uh, in the age of the video uh, store. So when I think about it, I you know I you know you can see the the VHS you know how it's you know kind of wonky and and uh, you know you can smell the popcorn and bo in the video stores that that. Uh, was always present uh, and it's a nostalgic feeling to go back and, and just uh, remember, you know, being intimidated by the cover at first and you know, just all of these, all of these thoughts go through your head right that that sort of brings you back to that time. So I love that score for a lot of reasons. Nice. Uh, and, you know, and john Harrison's score he went on to do or no, maybe he did this before, but he did creep show as well, which I also really enjoy that score. I should have given i'll give that an honorable mention right now that creep show score is amazing too yeah um <laughs> yeah i i've always really liked the dawn the day one as well um one of the reasons why i've always uh, preferred that one over dawn um i'm one of the guys that i i prefer day over dawn but yeah yeah um romero said you know i this was, i saw in an interview he said you know people who like night you know i, I forget how you described each one's but anyway, at the end, he said, you know, but the guys that like day, they're real trolls. So <laughs> he meant it in a good way, of course. Yeah. He just meant that they're a, they're a, they're a particular breed that prefer day of the dead over the other ones. And I, I'm one of those too. So, you know, nice, yeah. present company included. We're, you know, yeah. trolls. <laughs> Only to Romero himself. Yeah. Well, hopefully I'm uh, not going to be trolling for uh, my number two um, in that uh, I kind of inadvertently spoiled it. Um, my right. number two is uh, The Omen. Um, um, yeah, yeah uh, it's it's just amazing. Um, 
you know, unfortunately it doesn't have the, uh, you know, hit single, you know, like tubular bells, but, uh, you yeah. know, it, what we were saying earlier about just, you know, fitting the intensity and fitting, you know, the, the scope of what's going on in here, it's just fantastic. And, you know, you have, you know, the Gregorian chants, you have, you know, a lot of that kind of like, you know, deep classical music kind of just, you know, creating these dark ominous tones to everything and uh, you, you mix that in with a little bit more kind of like, you know, the contemporary stuff of making sure, you know, you know, it fits in with, you know, what's going on, but yeah it's just you know it fits the movie and it just it sounds amazing it still holds up to this day and yeah it's you know it it just fits the it just fits everything and uh it's kind of hard to uh kind of hard to leave it off but uh number that's great yeah uh that's one i'm gonna definitely have to revisit um i haven't heard that in a while yeah um i mean like i said it doesn't have that you know it doesn't have that immediately gra that grasping single that uh, you know you really need, but yeah, yeah, it 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 fits, and um, it's one of the main one. You know, it's one of the big big things for me is uh, you know it it sounds really good and it's you know it fits what's going on, but um, yeah. yeah. Nice. All right, my number two was Tourist Trap. Uh, it's uh, directed by David Schmoller, but Pino Donaggio. Uh, did the did the theme, and he or not the theme. He did the score. Uh, Pino Donaggio has done other favorites. He did the Howling, uh, Two Evil Eyes, that Argento uh, Romero collaboration. He did Carrie. Uh, you know, he, so he's done some real classic scores. Uh, Tourist Trap. Uh, again, it's it's unique. I I find that every score another not just telling the story but it also offers each movie its own personality uh so it's not it's not just you know to to drive the story it's also to uh, uh give the give the movie its soul right the, its own unique soul and i think tourist trap really really does that well it um it's got it's again, it sounds like it's a small orchestra, some synth. This was sort of uh, typical of the of the day, I think, because the because you could use a small orchestra and the synths were sort of uh, to, to sort of uh, pump it up a bit so that it was more uh, uh, orchestral in a way. And, and there was just so many uh, opportunities for sound effects. But the main theme uh, especially is notable because it's sort of it uses, you know, like rent, you know, like what sounds like wrenches, you know, just strange percussion. The movie has like, man, move, you know, moving mannequins in it. And you're not sure what's going on with them, whether they're mechanical or they're toys or, you know, what's going on. So it's got sort of this um, nice uh, jaunty little fun theme. It's, it's unsettling, but it also really draws you in. Um, it doesn't really prepare you for what happens after the main theme. It's kind of like saying, you know, come on in, everything's fine. Just come on in. It's going to be fun, <laughs> you know, and it, and it, and it is, but it's, it's much, the movie is darker than the theme would suggest, which I, which I love that about it. It's a little bit uh, reminds me of how psycho uh, is as well, because the first half of it, as you know, it's, it's that that one theme that driving that driving theme which to me is kind of whimsical 
and fun. And then, you know, once those other strings come in, you know, the fun, fun times are over. So this is sort of a little bit like that in a way. Um, so yeah, that's number two, Tourist Trap, Pino Donaggio. Nice. Um, I've seen Tourist Trap only once. So it's one of those that I'm going to have to revisit. Um, yeah. I, I, I definitely do need to revisit it just because I wasn't really the biggest fan of it uh, to begin with. But yeah, um, yeah I, I, the, the wish I would uh, be able to say more, but um, yeah, no, definitely need to uh, revisit I, that I, one. We, I think we've got some more homework to do after this. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, although hopefully this will, uh, my number one will have been, uh, you know, the no brainer kind of a thing, um, at least for me, um, kind of hard to top this one. Uh, I went with Jaws, so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, kind of, uh, you know, hard to dispute that one. Just, you know, I mean, the theme just is, you know, the most iconic ostinato ever i mean it's just you know repetitive relentless but it just it it fits what's going on just to an absolute t the you know you get you know some other great pieces along the way you know you have like these jaunty you know ocean going themes for you know the the group out at sea and you know you have the melancholy kind of you know theme for quint but just in general uh you know it's just hard to top this one um you know, yeah. the simplicity, the effectiveness, just, you know, not only that, but just, you know, the way it just drives tension into the film and, you know, you, you get some classic, you know, you just get an absolute classic as a result. So. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah that's a great one. Um, when, uh, you know, I printed off this list, I'm out of, I'm out of paper, I'm out of ink. So I printed at my, my parents' place. So my dad, when he saw it, he just took a look at the list. He said, where's Jaws on this list? And, I, and he said, uh, you know, maybe uh, you didn't want to add it because it scared you out of the theater the thir first time. And it's true, because I had heard from friends at school, I was 10 or something like that. I had heard from friends at school that, you know, the, the end of it, uh, you know, the guy gets, you know, bitten in half. So I couldn't see that. There's no way. So I had to sort of leave the theater and peek through the doors because the tension and a lot of it created by the music and the kids at school. The tension was too much. You know, it was just uh, it was just building up to this sort of grand finale, this bloody grand finale sort of thing. Uh, so so, yeah, that music is just definitely uh, influential. And and uh, and there's some beautiful orchestrations in there, too. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so uh, moving so on number number yeah. one. Yeah, you're number one. So my number one is The Fly, and it's Howard Shore's score for Cronenberg's The Fly. And, and like I said about how, uh, you know, these movies, they evoke a time for you, they, they, they bring back a lot of memories. And, and uh, this movie, it really uh, affected me a lot. And it was more, uh, more the emotional content of it, sort of thing. Uh, it was almost about uh, maybe, you know, disease or, or, or cancer. It was about the scientist, you know, in his hubris, but it was also, there was also decay and it was a metaphorical thing to me. So the score didn't sound like, uh, like, you know, a typical horror score. It sounded like a melodrama or a, or a, a, 
uh, you know, I've seen it described as a body horror opera. Uh, so they did, you know, Howard Shore was thinking operatically. Uh, the light motifs and the the emotional content of the score and the lush uh, uh, harmonies and the and the beautiful themes. Uh, I used to listen to this movie just the audio on cassette, uh, listening to the dialogue, the the music, the sound effects, just listening to it on cassette over and over again. Like when I was walking around town with my Walkman on. I wasn't listening to, uh, you know, Bon Jovi or Winger, or, you know, I don't know what else, what was going on at the time. But anyway, <laughs> the second time I've mentioned Winger in just a few days. Uh, but I was listening to the soundtrack to The Fly. So it was a huge influence just listening to how the, the music and the dialogue and the sound effects all work together to form this beautiful uh, piece of art. And uh, uh, so, so it really was an operatic, dramatic experience more than just a, you know, more than just a movie to me. It was a, it was an all-encompassing experience. So yeah, number one was the fly. Well, I uh, guess now that kind of uh, brings me to a close because that was my last honorable mention that wasn't already uh, oh. taken. <laughs> Oh, really? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, you mentioned uh, The Fly, Cannibal Holocaust, and um, <laughs> okay. yeah, well, that was... They, you know, some things just have to come up in this conversation, I think. Yeah, they kind of do. Um, but yeah, that, was, that one was uh, the last honorable mention I have. Mm -hmm. um, so the last one, um, I'll just bring this out one, even though I'm not necessarily, I don't think it's the biggest fan, but just um, I, I think in terms of like recognizing big genre scores, Mm -hmm. um just so that, you know for me i'll have an honorable mention just uh, out there um i'll, I'll say the uh, original suspiria oh yeah um yeah uh, i'm not the biggest fan just because it sounds like incoherent noise but um <laughs> in, in terms of effective app in terms of like uh, establishing an atmosphere it does have uh it does have its place so um uh, i'll give it that but uh yeah um unfortunately that was my last honorable mention yeah, so I probably um, should have added that one too uh, you know, yeah. so my honorable mentions were, you know, mostly something that I didn't really mention much of was Bernard Herrmann. I want to just mention him a little bit more because when I found out, you know, I watched Jason and the Argonauts and as a, as a kid and Mysterious Island, The Day the Earth Stood Still, these were all things that I loved as a kid. But then when I found out, you know, later on that he had also done, you know, all that Hitchcock stuff, Vertigo and Psycho and, and Cape Fear, uh, I mean, he had done so much stuff that I loved and, you know, knowing that it was all him everything sort of just all connected together. And uh, anyway, so I'm just going to say as an honorable mention, all of Bernard Her Herman. Uh, and the other one is a smaller movie, uh, Death Stalker 2, uh, the score by Chuck Serino. I, I, I really love that score. It's another one of those ones where the theme, it's, you'd call it sort of a, a hero's theme, I guess. And it comes back again and again, so that by the end of it, you're happily singing this theme, and you've just had a great time with this sort of, you know, sword and sorcery fantasy uh, thing, and uh, and it's awesome. It's very hummable and uh, effective, uh, and I love a lot of what Chuck Serena does. It's really great, really great stuff, and it's mostly uh, again budget stuff. It's mostly synth and uh you know samples and things and he uses them really effectively 
uses them in an orchestral way. So, uh, you know, budget is no object for uh, Chuck Serino. So. Nice. Um, I mean, I wish I could say more, but um, fortunately I uh, really can't, but uh, yeah. Oh. yeah, this was uh, a lot of fun. Thank you for uh, taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. Of course. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Uh, absolutely. So uh, for those that are interested in uh, following you and your work, where can uh, they find you? So go, uh, go ahead and give all your uh, shout outs and uh, social media links if uh, you have any. Sure. Um, well, I mean, I would say uh, coming up is a movie uh, called The Fight Machine. Um, that's sort of what we're finishing up on right now. Uh, a movie called Crabs is coming out you know, slowly around the world. It's not quite in North America yet, uh, streaming, but uh, it's sort of in, is in uh, different channels, but um, what else is going on? Uh, Kilgore and the Grizzly Abyss is another one that's coming up, a sword and sorcery puppet movie that I can't wait to start on that one. So uh, that'll be in the, you know, further along future. Uh, as far as links go, uh, just uh, you can find as sort of a hub, uh, MikeTreblecockMusic.com, and it's T um, Mike Trebilcock, so T-R-E-B-I-L-C-O-C-K, music.com. All right, nice. So um, I uh, I will have uh, as much as possible in uh, the show notes down below for you all to uh, check out and follow along uh, if you can. So... Until next time, thank you again for joining me, and we will be back with another topic. So see you then.